7, 7 p.m. Hopefully we'll get some visitors. I've seen that the Martinsville Live Facebook page somebody had put on there. Can anybody give me a list of places and times? And we put ours on there. So hopefully it'll, it'll help get some word out for some folks to visit with us. But man, God's been working with us. Have we got it kind of under control? All right. Well, since we're ready, let's go to our Father in prayer real quick about this, this lesson that we have today and, and worship Him and, and we'll get into the Word. And Father, we thank You so much for this day and Your blessings. It's a beautiful day. So many smiling faces of brothers and sisters in Christ and they're here to worship you, Father, and to worship your Son. And, and they're filled with your Spirit. And we're thankful, Father, for everything. Every one of them. We pray a special prayer as this year is coming to an end and a new year is getting ready to dawn. We pray, Father, that you will bless each and every family that is represented here and bless their families extended, Father, we ask for hedge of protection. We ask for healing where it's needed. We ask for health where it's needed. We ask for compassion and grace where it's needed. We ask for understanding where it's needed. And Father, as we get ready to break open your word of life, the word of God is the most important thing in the world. It is our cherished treasure and father we pray that as we study your word that you gave to us today that many have died for and many died in giving it and especially your son who died to fulfill it and to bring forgiveness we ask your blessing upon the study today and ask you to open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth and may we be challenged by it and we ask this all in jesus name amen Tomorrow night, like we said, is Christmas Eve and candlelight service. And it's the night before Christmas. And all through the world, a message is preached. A challenge is hurled. To believe on the Son, and thou shalt be saved. For the road to heaven with his blood is paved. And out of the darkness of sin and despair comes God's salvation, the fairest of fair. Born in a manger, there was no room in the inn. God in the flesh, he died for our sin. The angels sang and the shepherds rejoiced. The Messiah has come, the message was voiced by joyous believers far and near. Christmas has come because Emmanuel is here. Emmanuel, God in the flesh, he decided to dwell among us. And the word says that he became flesh, he tabernacled with us, and we beheld his glory, John says, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And unfortunately today... The message of the only begotten has almost been totally forgotten. Today it's replaced with things like Santa, presents, 
and Christmas trees. Oh, speaking of Christmas trees, this idea of greenery and, and it representing life goes way back to the Egyptians, to the sun god Ra. In the winter solstice like we're in right now, it would seem to them like he was sick, that he was not providing what he was supposed to for their agricultural region So they started bringing these things of green, holly, ivy, and evergreen balls and decorating homes and the town to appeal to the sun to heal and to come back strong and to provide that life and and those crops for them to sustain their life. And since it is God's cycle of events, the way things happen with the rotation of the earth and the seasons that God instored, and said in Genesis 1 that I am going to have this in for signs and for seasons. So they took what was already God's and they tried to make it theirs. And then they would look like after they had prayed those things through this week of December. That now the sun would gain strength and it would start on its natural course of God's role. They thought their prayers helped the sun God Ra to become stronger. And to then bring life as spring came and their crops would be planted. And then it goes down to the Romans. They had a god called Saturn. That they had the period of Saturnalia. Which is during this time. That also had these same kind of uh, things. And they would do away with all law for a week. And you could do whatever you wanted to. So you see how Satan always tries to take the things of God and change them into things that aren't of God and to mimic those. When the pilgrims came to America, they were leaving persecution for being Christians. And they came over here and they wanted to worship God freely. And they tried to do away with some of those traditions that was happening. They didn't want the birth of Christ to be made a mockery of. And here's a bit of trivia for you, if you didn't know, that um, to help stamp that out, Oliver Cromwell preached against the traditions of carols and trees and that desecrated the birth of Christ. And in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts enacted a law that said that during this time of the year that you could not do any of those things or they would fine you. Uh, for doing that, for hanging decorations or having trees. But all of that changed in 1846. Because in 1846, a popular royal couple called Queen Victoria and her German prince, Prince Albert, was sketched in an illustration of the London News standing with their children there around a Christmas tree. And that illustrated news, and that's the actual drawing, I think, of the illustrated news. And when that came out, these were popular. We even had Prince Albert tobacco and stuff. I remember that when I was growing up and seeing those tins up there. They were very popular. And that set a trend. And it came to our East Coast, which we had migrated from there. And people still were somewhat loyal to Great Britain. And all of a sudden... The Christmas tree became the trend that set in. And everybody started putting those up and it was accepted with glee. But now, what I want to do is take you for a Sunday drive on the history of trees.
Speaking of Christmas trees and trees, I want to teach you the biblical history of trees. So if you want to ride along on this journey, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And that's where we're going to begin. In Genesis chapter 1, as we read through that creation event, it says in chapter 1 and verse 11 that Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. And that mention right there is the first mention that we have of trees. Eleven verses into the Bible is trees, fruit trees of its kind. And then, if you're with me now in chapter 2, the Word of God begins to explore a little bit deeper on this idea of trees. And we get to where God is forming man in verse 7 And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of, I know your Bible says life, but it's actually the breath of lives. It's in the masculine plural in the original language. And God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of lives. And man became a living being. And you say, Darrell, that's one of the first times I've heard that. Let me explain. Man was created by God with Two lives from that breath. A soul and a spirit. And so when he breathed those breath of lives into man. And he began to be a living creature. Otherwise the Lord would have not told the truth. When we get in a minute to the point in chapter 2 later on. When he says of every tree of the garden you may eat of. Except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you partake of that, thou shalt surely what? Die. Genesis 5.5 says that Adam lived 930 years after eating the forbidden fruit and had sons and daughters. So if that was referring that you will surely die in the day you eat of it, if it only pertained to one death, then the Lord didn't know what he was talking about, did he? Because Adam lived 930 more years. There were two deaths that was going to take place. And it says, thou shalt surely die. The word for surely is also the word death. It's muth tamuth. And it's two deaths are going to take place. The spiritual death took place immediately. The day that he ate, the moment they ate, what happened? They hid themselves from God. They were spiritually dead and they they did not want to be seen by God who had saw them every day since their creation. So there were two lives that was given, a soul and a spirit. And today we are born with a soul, but our spirit is in that new birth when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. And we get spiritual life then in that belief, but we're going ahead of ourselves. But so God created this man. And you know what the next thing he did in chapter 2 was that he planted a garden for him in Eden, it says. And he put the man who he had formed into that garden. And this garden is a special place. It says there, it wasn't during the creation process. It's now. God plants by his own hand a special garden. The word for garden means something special, something enclosed, hedged. 
It means the thorns of a fence woven together like the shepherds would do to protect their sheep. What is the word guard den? That's where we get it from because it's a guarded place. It's something important. It's something special. I have a fence around my garden to protect from deers. I know some folks who have electric fences around there. Yes. And we have to turn it off before we go through or you're going to get shocked. So why? Because you need to guard that section because it's special. So the word for Eden in the Hebrew means delight and pleasure. So this was a place of God's pleasure designed for men that needed to be guarded and protected and cherished as he did. And so then verse 9, it says, What do you think would be the main focal point of a garden that is this special? The main point it says there is this, trees. Trees. Imagine that. The main thing that God wanted us to know about this special garden is he put trees in there. And not just any kind of trees. God put four categories of trees because God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And so he made categories of trees for the man in the ground. He said, first of all, he said in the first category, he said, trees that are good for the sight, that is pleasant to the eyes. So the first category of tree is for man's soul. And he reaches through man's soul through the eyes. And he created trees that were just beautiful in this garden to look at so that man would be happy In that sort of a way. He provided for man's happiness of the soul. Through his eyes of the trees. Then the second category of trees. That it says there. Is trees that were good for food. So now we have trees that are good for the eyes. Trees that makes man feel stimulated and good. When he sees it. And it brings him happiness and joy. Now we have a tree that provides nourishment from the ground of which he was created, goes up into these fruits, and it provides nourishment and strength for what? The physical body. So now you have the soul being taken care of. You've got the physical body being taken care of. And then it comes to those, it says, of every tree of those things you may eat in a moment. So there's more than one of those. There's all kinds of beautiful trees to look at. There's all kinds of wonderful trees to eat from. All of the taste buds, all of everything that would stimulate pleasure was there for the body as well. The third category tree though, and the fourth, are not multiple trees. They're single trees. It's one tree. And the next category of tree is in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of life. This was the centerpiece of God's garden. And notice it says it's in the midst of the garden. It's not next to the edge where anything can try to reach over and grab it. It's in the middle and it's special. And it's God's centerpiece. And it's to provide for that spiritual, eternal life of man. It's the tree of life it's to be guarded it's to be protected 
Then there's another tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Category four. Think about that. This one tree is a tree of knowledge of everything good and everything evil. Makes me shudder to think that everything evil is contained in there that would open up into man's mind. And I explained on Wednesday night to folks, I'm going to digress a minute from this, that Satan, it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and good can be thrown out there, but it's really evil in intent. And I explained how that Satan uses good to tempt us and to throw us off God's course as well. And you know how he does that? Same way he does with things today. You hear him talk in the legislature, but how about this back in the day? When David passed away and his son Solomon passed away, there came a split kingdom, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Rehoboam and Jeroboam were at odds, and the north and the south were at odds, and the northern kingdom said, I don't want them going to worship. God had a place of worship in the city of Jerusalem every year for his feast that they had to go to. But the king of the north said, if they go there, they will stay, their hearts will be turned to God, and they won't want me to stay king, and I want to hold my power. So what he did was the same thing that the people asked Aaron to do when they was in the desert. And he made these golden calves, and he put one in Dan and one in Bethel. And he said this to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. God shouldn't ask you to go to that stretch to worship Him. Behold your gods, Israel. I've put one in Dan and one in Bethel so that you don't have to travel that far. You can worship right here. And the, the good that He was trying to make it appear was leading them away from God and it was a falsehood. And so this is the type of thing that this tree provided of how to sound good, but it's wrong. And to how to be evil is wrong as well. And that tree is here in the midst of the garden as well. And what God has done, that's the tree of testing. This is where we get thrown into the angelic conflict. Are you going to believe God and His Word or are you going to reject God as Satan had done? And that's how we become involved in the same conflict of spiritual warfare with two trees that give you a choice. You eat of the tree of life and obey God and you live. You reject God's word and you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you don't. In the day you eat of it, dying thou shalt die. Spiritual death took place immediately. Physical death takes place later. So, then we move on past the rivers that flowed through there for time's sake. And we get down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And he told the man to tend it and keep it. <clears throat> oh, words change over the centuries. Tend and to keep. The word for tend here is actually the word that started out with like bond servant. Paul would say what? I am the bond servant of Jesus Christ. He wanted man to be in the garden to tend it as a place of worship to God. 
and then to keep it. And that is a strong word for protection. I want you to worship here. This is your place of life. This is your place of security in me. But you need to protect it. You need to keep it. It is that word for placing a guard and a corral around things. And he says, this is special. I have created for you and all of your pleasure of your mind, body, soul, and spirit. Everything you need for life and godliness. But you must Protect it from the evil one. And be strong in this. And the Lord commanded him then saying. Of every tree of the garden. That I have given to you. You may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it. You will surely die. In other words dying you will die. It was referring to two types of death there. So don't. Eat that, and we've already went into that explanation of that. So now we have, as we review for a minute, we've got this garden of delight that God planted for man and his enjoyment and gave him everything he needed in it for food, for pleasantry of the eye, for your spiritual eternal life and your need and for worship. But now comes the challenge that tests man's willpower. The testing tree is also there. And the rest of chapter 2 now is God building a woman for the man and bringing her to him. And that's another lesson for another day because we're talking about trees today. So now we get to Genesis chapter 3 and the enemy is brought in to the picture. It doesn't take him long in 3.1 and it says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know what I found really interesting about that verse? This is the introduction of our enemy, Satan. It doesn't tell us who he is, where he came from, no information. You know what God wanted us to know first? He's the most cunning beast that was in the field That had been created. The first thing that God wants you and I to know about our enemy. Is not where he came from. What he looks like. It's that you need to be careful. Because he's smarter than you. He's the most cunning beast of the field. And he will trap you. His desire is to have you. His desire is to take good or evil. Whatever stimulates you. And to lead you away from me. He is cunning. Let me show you how cunning he is in these scriptures leading up to what's going to happen with the fall. This is what he said to the woman. Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of any of these trees in the garden? So what he says is this. First thing is basically he said, look around at all of this. And God's keeping all of that from you. I thought you were telling me that God loves you. I thought you were telling me that God is good. And yet, I heard said that he put all of this out here and said you can't have it. Now, what kind of God is that? You ever had people with these kind of arguments? It goes all the way back. This is the cunningness that he uses. He knows what truth is, but he can't stand truth. And he's got to turn it slightly. So he says, God did all of this and 
He's not even letting you have it. And the woman comes in. Bless her heart. She says this. She says, no, no. We can eat of the trees of the garden. But there's one tree of the garden that he said that we can't. Now, I want you to notice. Here's what's pointed out in her answer. She's got a slight belief system problem. She feels she knows the truth. She feels that her and Adam has been taught the truth, but she's added slightly to the truth. You know, God has said in his word, you don't add or take away from my word. Why? Because it's there for your protection. And I know what can happen if you add or take away. Look what happened. She added one little thing, and I know it was for good because if, if I tell my, my daughter or my grandson not to do something... I might even go so far as to say don't even touch it, right? And so when you think of don't eat of it for in the day you do, you will die. It was probably I don't even want to touch it as well. And now all of a sudden that thought process becomes doctrine. That thought process becomes the word of God to her and it wasn't. And a false system of belief can begin to lead you astray. And let me show you the thought process behind it now as we continue to go. So she says, no, we're not even, we can eat of all of them except the one. We don't want to touch it or to eat it. And she's trying to paint God as a good God. Yeah, he gave us all of these. But look, God did not say you couldn't touch it. God said, don't eat it. And the day that you do, you will die. So now the cunning serpent is leading her right into his trap. And he says, oh, is that so? Well, take a look around of that tree versus all of these other trees. It looks the same. It's going to feel the same. You ought to be able to take it then. Here's the thing. God knows it's good, but he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants you to stay the way you are. He doesn't want you to be smart like him. So then you'll notice that the scripture says that the woman then took of the fruit. And what happened? Nothing, right? Nothing. So there, her belief system was God said, don't eat or touch or you will die. God didn't say it, so when she touched it and didn't die, she thought what? The rest of it's not true either. And Satan is the one telling the truth. So now, she touched it and didn't die. She looked at it, and behold, it does look like the other ones that it's good to eat. It's desirable. It's tempting. Evidently, he is right and God is just withholding from me. First he was saying God withheld all of these trees to eat from you. No, now he's saying God's withholding knowledge from you. Since she touched it and didn't die, now she feels confident that she can eat and not die. And that's where a false system of belief on one little thing can lead to a a very much of a downfall. The eyes of both of them were opened then. And spiritual death took place at that time. And the body began the process of dying as well. And then it says when their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. That they started sowing fig leaves together. Which is the first 
sign of trying to work for my salvation. They wanted to do what they could to make things right and to appease God, and you can't do that. There is no works-based salvation. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. But then the Lord comes into the garden, and he has to call for them, and where are you? And they come out and say, we were hid. Their spiritual death had taken place immediately. And now, for the sake of time, since we're just on trees, we'll keep on track with that. What happened to the trees after Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit? Well, verse 22 says that the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. I don't know if your Bible has a dash in it, but the, most of them do. In the original, there's a dash. And what I think it is for is that their minds went to what would happen if they actually did grab that and eat while they're in this lost state. God could not allow His creation to partake of that fruit and remain in a lost state. And so He removes the man from the garden. And it says, You didn't guard the garden, and protect it, but you let the enemy in. And now you've lost control of it. And so now God removes the man and woman from the garden, and he places cherubim at the gate. You see, it has a fenced-in place for the garden. And at the east end of it, where the opening is, was cherubim and a flaming sword that would turn every which way to what? Guard the entry. To the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he drove the man out away from it. And that tree. I don't know when. Or what caused it to disappear. But it disappeared. It left. It is no longer here. I don't know if it was a little bit after that. I don't know if it was during the flood. The word of God does not tell us. But I do know something. It was removed from here. And it's in another place. For in Revelation chapter 7, the tree of life is mentioned in Proverbs concerning wisdom for us now. Wisdom is like a tree of life. The word of God and its knowledge of truth is like a tree of life. Not is, but like. The actual tree of life is not mentioned again from Genesis 3 until Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2, whenever John is writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The word for paradise is the Arabic word for garden of God. Paradise is the garden of God. God created the garden of Eden. The place of delight and pleasure for man. He had to remove that garden and that tree. Revelation 2.7 says that in the heavenly realm. There is a garden of God called paradise. And in it is the tree of life. It's been moved. 
to a different location. And it's still there for those who believe in Jesus Christ. For those who overcome this world, it says, through Christ, I will give you the right now to re-enter into the paradise, the garden, and to partake of the tree of life. And then it's mentioned two more times in the very last chapter of Revelation 22, verse 2 and verse 14. I'll read you one of them. Verse 2 says that the tree of life is in right there in the middle by the river and the, the, the street that runs through it. It's right there. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who what? Do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and to enter back in through the gates to its city. Isn't that a great promise? We have the promise to be able to go all the way back to that once we reach that heavenly realm through faith in Christ. And you say, but wait, I thought you said you was going to tell about the new type of tree of life because you know what? God has replaced that tree of life right now with a different type of tree. It's a tree of decision. And it's a tree also that to one, it was a tree of evil and knowledge of it. But to us, it is a tree of life. Let's explore that. You see, there was four categories we talked about. Two of them was a volitional thing. You choose to eat from the tree of life or you choose to eat from the other tree and disobey God. Jesus hinted at what this tree of life for us today is, our new Christmas tree, what the real one is. When in John chapter 3, Nicodemus had come to him by night and said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus told him, he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent We're all the way back to the serpent, aren't we? Just as he lifted up the serpent upon the pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, what? Be lifted up. I think we're starting to get the hint of what the new Christmas tree is, what the tree of life is. He said, so much the Son of Man, the cross is going to become the tree that leads to the tree of life. It says this in John three fourteen through 18. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man now be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. It's the tree of life. For God so loved the world that He gave, there's the gift of the season, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But we now have the trees of decision, just like they had in the garden. We have it in our life. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there was a tree of choice in the garden and man's freedom to choose. And there's a tree of choice today that man has to choose. This is the 
Christ must die tree. This is the new one. The only begotten son. Do you believe on him and his work upon that tree of life for you? He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. God's true Christmas tree is the cross. Peter said it like this. Acts chapter 5 verses 29 through 32. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on what? The tree. And God exalted him to the right hand to be the prince and to be the savior of the world. How about what Paul thought? In Acts 13, verses 28 through 30, he said, And though they found no cause for death in him, Pilate wanted to turn him back loose. But they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now that when that was fulfilled, all that was written concerning him, it says what? They took him down from the tree. And laid him in a tomb. But praise be to God. That he raised him. Up from that tomb. And from the ground. How about this First Peter. Chapter 2. Verse 24 about our tree. And our history that we're talking about. He who knew no sin. Had to become sin. My sin. For me. That I might have the right to become the righteousness of God in him. Peter says this, so that that had to happen. He himself bore our sins in his own body where? On the tree. On the cross. God's tree of life for us now as New Testament Christians, is the cross of Jesus Christ. He bore our sins in His body. You know what that means? He who knew no sin. He was... Jesus knew no sin. It was like Adam in the garden. But He came in the flesh to bear our sins. That tree to our Lord became the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And when that sin of mine hit his body as he bore it on that tree, he cried and he screamed, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was my sin that caused that. Because he bore it upon the sin of the tree of evil. It says, we're going to keep on going here. That we, then after he bore our sins in his body on the tree, we dying to sin might live for righteousness. And by his stripes are you healed. And as our worship team comes on back up. Jesus had all of our sins placed upon him. He personally bore those. Look what Galatians chapter 3 says as we close. Christ redeemed us. He paid the penalty for us from what? 
the curse of the law, having become the curse for us because it is written, Cursed is every one who hangs on the tree. That tree became the curse, the evil for my Savior. He bore my sin upon that tree. It is now the tree of life for those who will believe. It is the gift of God of salvation. So my prayer to all of you is that every time you look at one of these, you think of that back there because that is the true Christmas tree. That is the true tree of life. Jesus is the true gift. And I pray that everyone here and all of our families accept that gift that God gave on the tree. Let's pray. Father, wow, we thank you so much for what you've revealed to us through your word. I thank you so much, Father, for our Savior and Lord who didn't decide that he didn't want to face all of this. He, he could take the beating, he could take the rejection, he could take everything like that. But when it came to the knowledge of sin and having to bear that, how he cried and screamed and it, he hated it. But he had to, Father, on the tree that was cursed so that it might now become a tree of blessing to us. Cursing turned to blessing through him. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son, for forgiveness, for that is the only gift that we need. And we praise you and honor you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.